welcome to series three, episode 34 of Cherry Jam. Uh, it's myself, Ed Price, James Eastwood, Russ Brooks, Lawrence Landry, and possibly Jim Harley, if we can work out how to get his mic to work. Uh, he is on the Zoom call as we're recording this evening. Uh, well, um, nice and easy one this week. It's going to be mainly about Gloucester's win over Northampton in the last 16 of the Challenge Cup. Um, we're going to preview the Bristol game and maybe the next couple of weeks of the season a lot of rugby that's going to be played in the next three or four weeks. We're probably not going to be able to do an episode on each one. So it's going to have to sort of cover off one or two games at a time. Um, so we'll just have a chat about kind of where we want the club to go. I know Snowy's mentioned before that we need to focus on the league, but now we've got opportunities in both cup competitions. Um, do we need to maybe reassess that? Is there realistically any chance of winning the league or getting in the top four uh, and seeing where we go with it? Um, right, uh, we'll we'll start off with the game of the uh, of the weekend. Uh, Gloucester entertain Northampton, uh, winning thirty one twenty one, scoring four tries, playing some really nice rugby in the first 25, 30 minutes. Um, second half, kind of had to sort of uh, maybe weather a little bit of a storm, helped by Dan Bigger throwing a shoulder about, um, and then just a little bit of a, a silly silly red card at the end by Alex Craig, which is slightly disappointing. Um, but we'll we'll start off with um, Lawrence. Uh, you watched it via um, a, a a stream. We won't go into the details of the specific stream, but we'll you watched it via a stream. I know Snowy did the same. Jim was at the game, uh, and we'll try and get his feedback in a bit. And then Russ watched the highlights subsequently. So Lars, your your take on the let's go with the the really really positive side of things. The first twenty minutes I thought was brilliant in terms of our our gameplay and, and general yeah. general play. It was as good, it was as good as rugby as we played in a long time that first 20 minutes um we attacked with um speed and dynamism our forwards carried well um we supported players superbly Ollie Thorley showed just how good a player he is um when he's perhaps been a little bit off color um lately but certainly looked back to his very best with uh, his try um showing that gas that we know he's always had that was Reminiscent when he went the length against Leicester, where he just pinned his ears back and went for it once he got through the gap. Um, yeah, it was just really nice to see us go so well and be able to just talk so positively about that, um, which, uh, uh, you know, normally we find some sort of areas to be um, a bit critical on, but certainly you can't fault that first 25 minutes or so. Um, mm. Northampton are too good a side to not come back into the game. And I think that also means that we can take great delight in the, the result overall because Northampton made a game of it. I know it sounds stupid, but it would have all been about how Northampton were below par on this, that and another if they had it and we you know, gone on and won comfortably. Um, I think we can take great delight in the fact that we've put an, a decent side away. Yeah, we haven't you know, hammered them, but the, it, it can all be about how good Gloucester were rather than how poor Northampton were. Yeah. Uh, Snowy, um, again, you were watching on a, on a on a stream as well. Um, your take of that first, well, again, take take that first 25, 30 minutes. Any specific things that sort of stuck out to you in the positives? Yeah, first, firstly, for me, it's the team selection. So, I think if you look at the comments on Facebook and stuff, everyone's like, "This is the best team we could put out." Mm. But and what's a bit frustrating is that we've actually had the opportunity to put out this same team quite a lot of times this season. Yeah, and they played exactly like you'd expect 
<laughs> the way the, the team <laughs> appeared on paper, right? So we had Chapman at nine, the ball was fast. Yeah. Suddenly 10 looks like the player we had signed in the first place in that he's distributing really well. He's got time on the ball. He's got different options for his kicking. But some of his kicking was was superb. Um, finding like the, the right space, like right choices. So finding space rather than finding a player when he, mm-hmm. when he kicked long. Um, box kicks were much, well, there were far fewer and only happened when it made sense to do it. Um, if anything, it was almost like our backs were a bit, too excited in the first half and suddenly we've got all this ball at what we can do with it and forced a couple of yeah a couple of times that then invited Saints back into it um when we thought we had the scrum advantage. Um Carreras, yeah okay he made he made a mistake for that one but that was probably simply the fact that he hadn't heard it and digested it different language as well that that the advantage was over but he is so good at fullback. And why are we playing him on the wing when he's like we 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 assumed that he must be played on the wings so that he can get under the high ball. How many high balls did he get under from fullback? Yeah, probably more than any other game he has. So um, yeah, back, back line especially is our best back line and played like that when we put them out there. Suddenly we were doing things through the backs we weren't just confined to our forwards. So that was really good. Um, we should have put them away in the first half. We yep. forced it a bit and didn't. Um, and yeah. So yeah, if you want me to leave it on the first half, that was awesome. <laughs> well, I think I think this, you know I'll continue this theme on that first half, and I'll just drop in the sort of the, the, the little nuggets of what's going to happen for the sort of second, the last ten minutes of the first half, maybe the first ten minutes of the second half. Um, I thought, as Los kind of mentioned, we did kind of look to you know we're twenty one nil up after what was it 25, 26 minutes or something like that, um, and you could see. Northampton looked shell-shocked. They looked absolutely what the hell has just hit us. And I think the other thing we haven't really mentioned was attacking-wise was superb. I mean, as we mentioned, the, the ball, the quick ball makes so much of a difference. It really does. And we kind of referenced this all the way through the season. Um, and, and the fact that the scrum half is able to pick up from the base and it fires out straight away makes such a difference. You know, you're tying players into the ruck or you're tying players and fixing them. Um, I thought the defence, again, first 20 minutes was, I think, part, maybe far from the first minute where we sort of did a little bit of standoffish. First 20 minutes, the intensity of our defence, the, the line speed, we were hitting these guys back. I mean, these, the Northampton pack, is a, they've got some big, big guys. Um, I do think, they, again, they also suffered from the loss of, uh, of Courtney Laws. They did seem to struggle and, uh, to readapt to that situation when he got injured. Um, and, you know, the number of times where we was double tackles or big hits from individual players, um, Val Rapava-Ruskin was particularly immense in that regard. Um, some of his hits in that first half were, were scary. Um, and I should make a point, they were tackles, not hits as well. They were good tackles. They were low. They were driving the player back. Um, but just dropping into the sort of the, the slight negatives, we were a bit loose. We probably got a little bit of overexcited, as you said. Uh, snowy and I think I don't think we adapted to the breakdown particularly um, probably on our own ball as well as we probably could have done I think the um, the referee was shall we say very uh, or laissez-faire in terms of the interpretation of the breakdown Uh, and your point about the Carreras mistake for the interception try the second try for Northampton I mean I've heard differing opinions on this but whether it was clear and obvious that he'd actually given advantage over and would a premiership referee um, 
have uh, have have given that advantage over. I, I do question that. Jim, you, you're you. I know you were specific. You you had a bit of a take on this because you were in the shed, um, and uh, I think you might have had. I don't know whether you have you have Reflink or something on. Um, so my friend that I was stood next to had Reflink, and she was very good at kind of relaying um, a lot of the referees' communication, and she's very quick. You know, if there's an advantage over, she kind of re- relays that as well, which didn't get mentioned. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, from from my from my angle, I was looking from my from my spot close to halfway, and I was looking straight to the corner flag at the sort of grandstand turnpent mm. in that corner, and basically from the advantage, we passed it towards that corner flag, and we went through what four five passes. I don't even think it was that. I think it was like three yeah, passes. Well, Three passes, no rucks, no no malls, no nothing. And then there's an interception and they score. And like we've conceded 20, 25 meters. Mm. You know, if we'd have conceded five over three phases, that's play on. Absolutely. If we'd have conceded 10 over four, five phases, that's play on because that number of phases gives you the advantage but to go through zero phases and lose all that territory and have advantage over that's just bonkers and yeah um yeah that, that just that just simply wouldn't happen with a, a premiership referee i'm quite quite confident i think they're, they're more consistent in the premiership i think across all the european games this weekend there was so much inconsistency in the refereeing yeah um, and, and not just from one referee to another but from one nation. referee within a particular game. Yeah, but I mean, but often nation to nation as well. You can see that they're probably getting their shit together. The English, we're, it's pretty consistent in the Premiership now, to be fair, mm. especially things like the high tackles and stuff. Like the 90, 95% of the time, you're going to guess right how something ends up because they're all applying the same logic. But once we got the the referees in from the other nations. It was very inconsistent. But on the, that knock, it's a really difficult one, that knock on one, because normally what they do is it's sort of whether you're under pressure. But if the ref, the referee can quite easily get that wrong in that he thinks they're not under pressure and calls advantage over. Yeah. But once he said it, that's it. And he yeah, said yeah. advantage over. And then and then it's almost like whether it was or not, it, it's it doesn't make a difference. The ref said it. Protect the ball. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I thought that it was on for us, and that is one of the reasons what, despite what Jim was saying about distance or anything like that, because it was a knock-on. Invariably, if you get the ball off of a knock-on, they, a lot of referees deem that to be advantage in itself, and therefore it's advantage over. That was on for us. We got it wrong, and that's why he called advantage over. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's in his defence, the referee's defence, there was a similar situation later in the second half. Where Northampton had a knock-on advantage, they went through two or three hands, knocked it on themselves, and that advantage had gone. Gloucester got the knock-on advantage in a scrum. So I, I'm going to give him a bit of defence on the fact that it was consistent. It's just I think probably from our point of view, and I agree with Los. I understood what he's talking about there in terms of it was on whether an advantage is over. Invariably, if you look at watch a Premiership game, that would have been called back um for the fact there wasn't an advantage and we'll go back I, I i do i do take the differing points it's just an interesting kind of debate to have on it um, i'm just yeah. going to bring in i'm just going to bring in russ quickly because i know you watch the highlights so i'll just get your view more generally about your view of the the, the highlights you've watched um 
Uh, and uh, and then we'll come and talk about more detail of the second half. <laughs> yeah, or, or seven and a half minutes. I yeah. <laughs> uh, really insightful. Um, I don't know. It's given it was only me last week talking. I I kind of fired into him about how one dimensional we were and how mm. you know the first <laughs> thing I so the first thing on the highlights is a really nice, well worked backline move, and you're like, you fucking pricks. They obviously <laughs> listened to me and thought, right, it's time to. Time to troll Russ. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, I think my takeaways from it were um, it was nice to see Foley in that kind of form that he's been in in the past and get coming off his wing like that. And he was heavily involved in his work. His try was a great try and he was heavily involved in Val's try. Um, it was really funny to hear Ludlam try and say that Harris was dipping into Bigger's red card in yep. the to the ref when Biggers literally left his feet to jump up and swing his shoulder. Yeah. Um, that one was quite funny. I did quite, I might have laughed at that one because, yeah, you know, I love Dan Bigger. Um, Don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> it was really weird because Craig's red card, everyone told me how bad it was. The replay, all you, they show it from an angle about a hundred feet away. And then they don't show what happened. So you just see... It's more the stupidity of it. Yeah, 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 I agree, Loz. But it was just... it For something that seemed like quite a big deal in the game, they barely show it in there. So um, I think my takeaways are pretty similar to what Snow said. Is like you watch that game and think, why don't you play like this every week? Why don't you put that back line out in that formation? Mm. So, you know, and... (laughs) we did this earlier in the season as we've all alluded to we started playing Chapman and we were all getting really excited thinking, brilliant we turned the corner we're going to change our game and I really hope that this time they might get the hint um so you know it was seven and a half, and a half minutes of reasonable positivity for me um, yeah it was actually noticeable and take anything yeah it was actually noticeable when me and come on how much worse we were. I'm sorry, I know we slag him off to the loads, but it was actually visible that that back line slowed right down. And I think he was brought on to close off the game and he almost caused us to lose it. It's not often on, that a scrum half comes on though and it, it slows down. I think <laughs> no, were, normally we... like any any replacement scrum half normally looks good because they the pace seems to up when a scrum half comes yeah. on. I yeah, think that we watched it last, like, we made this point last week me and Ed I'm sure none of you listen because you've got better things to do than listen to me I feel sorry for our listeners having only me Correct. but anyway <laughs> point, I think me and, Ed, me and Ed made the point that um, it does feel more and more like I'm not a fan of me but it does feel really like a game plan thing with him which I do find more and more bonkers when Chapman's completely the opposite but like last week there were times where the week before where Morgan makes a really good carry, we've got go forward and me and box kicks it. And I'm giving yeah. him the benefit it of the again, doubt. though, as well. Yeah, so we're going to come on to that. Unfortunately, that was one of the incidents, moments I was going to kind of contrast between the first half and the second half. But I, I do, I do think, I do think um, there's an element of when he came on, which I think was about 64, five minutes. I think it must, it was about, Five minutes, maybe maybe a bit earlier than that, 60 minutes. It was a, a little bit before they scored their third try to make it um, uh, 31-21. Um, and I think, Snowy, you were kind of you thinking, well, you know, hopefully this this we've got a lead big enough that he, he's not going to do anything stupid. 
I thought generally, and I, you know, I, again, we were talking a very stark contrast between Chapman's game, who I did think it, towards the end of his uh, time on the pitch was getting increasingly loose. There were a few passes that went awry. Um, you know, there were balls, you know, passes to Hastings where he was going to have to pick them up off his toes or take them over his head. You know, so you could clearly see Chapman was just tiring a little bit. And I think a change at that point was a sensible one to make. Um, and I thought generally me and actually, to be honest to and fair to him, did manage the game pretty well alongside um, Hastings. Uh, I think Hastings went off with about five minutes to go, didn't he, or something like six, seven minutes to go. Um, I thought they managed the game pretty well. On that point, and I'm going to come to Jim, uh, that specific specific moment in the second half where Ben Morgan, it was Ben Morgan, took an absolutely brilliant uh, peel off the back of the scrum, got it up to nearly halfway. And you're thinking, get this wide, boys, get this wide. They're all over the place. And unfortunately, um, that didn't happen, did it, Jim? No. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Tell us what happened, Jim. Um, Is this the one where he kicked it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where he just put boots a ball and hoofed it. And it it kind of, it wasn't a horrendous decision, but it wasn't the heads up rugby that we're kind of used to seeing from him, maybe. Well, we're used to seeing from maybe other scrum halves. It was, yeah, it was just quite painful, wasn't it? Um, I mean, there was also, I want to come, I'll come on to Lawrence and Snowy as well. The other bit, which was really, really obvious before Dan Bigger went off, actually. It didn't happen so much when he went off because they didn't anybody to, to kind of do this. But Christ almighty, didn't Northampton kick a lot of ball away? Um, and there was two two periods in the match where I think we had something like 10 kicks in a sort of kick tennis going on. Uh, Loz, uh, so we actually did well out of that, I thought, you know, in terms of territory. But it was quite, it was quite surprising to see how much ball Northampton kicked away. Yeah, um, it's probably on that along the lines of those statistics that Har- like Harlequins where we were raving about how they were playing rugby last year actually kicked the ball more than any other team and same goes um, Bath who were bottom of the league earlier in the season and kicked the ball the least amount of all teams it's probably they're going along that lines of kicking the ball much so much to try and get back into the game because the statistics lean towards that being generally the most successful way of winning games is the only thing I can think of because mm. I, I personally think if you are behind in a game and you need to come back into it, you can't do it without the ball. You need the ball to be able to come up to score the points. So I, I appreciate you need to get territory as well. But it, it, it did really descend into some mindless kick tennis. As it, you know, it's, it was... Well, it got a bit boring. It always does. It did get boring, yeah. It did get boring. I think, uh, I think, I think it might be a bit of a... That's the way they've analysed Gloucester because the way we've played, I think if you kick to us a lot, you get on top of the game because we do not attack. We, we attack off penalties in the opposition half. Yeah. So if they can get territory in our, in, in our half, they're going to win the game. And that's probably come from analysis of the way we've played. We didn't go out and play that game like we have 90% of the other games this season. That's the thing. We actually went and played rugby with it. And I think that's where they were shocked and suddenly yeah. found themselves quite a long way behind. And they had already had this game plan that was then hard to work around. Yeah. I found myself uh, explaining because I brought my son Max to the game, um, which was quite, quite well, 
great for him. He loved it. Um, and I found myself explaining the kick tennis a little bit. And he was saying, oh, so what's, what's happening here? What's all this about? Because it's not something that he's used to in under-12s. No. <laughs> someone, someone kicks to us and our fullback catches it and runs back and scores, pretty much is what happens every <laughs> single time. Because um, he's an absolute superstar, our fullback. Um, so I was explaining, it's kind of a game of chess. We're, we're kicking back to them and it's a territory thing and it's going back and forth. And we, I think the, the two, maybe three times it was proper kick tennis, mm. maybe for as, as, as much as a minute, although it probably felt like five. Yeah. We won. We won every one. We, we ended up with a territory game and possession. You know, they, they put in a poor kick. And I don't think we actually properly counterattack ran any of them because every time it was heads up, right, okay, it's not on, kick back. But I think they were actually heads up looking. Is there an opportunity for a, for a run? No, kick it back. And the couple of times that they ran it back, they probably should have kicked it because our defence was there. We either got a turnover, I think we got a turnover a couple of times, um, or it was just right. Now you're, you know, you're back well in your half, um, and we're happy in our defensive setup. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I did think it was quite entertaining actually was um, the uh, the fact that none of the forwards at any point retreated. It was just literally they just stood still. And it, really, it was getting to that point. What was interesting... Yeah, they, they, actually, didn't, they didn't even, like, turn. They were just stood sideways, weren't they? Just nodding their heads left and yeah. right. <laughs> it was like being at Wimbledon. Uh, one of the things I would say is, um, uh, we mentioned Carreras already. Um, I thought his... It, what you needed in those situations is someone to be thinking at slightly outside the box rather than just a big hoof back to the fullback, you know, into, into 22. And he... he I mean, there was one where I think it ball bounced off the post, which then relayed allowed us to get a bit of territory. But it was he was looking for space with his kicks. I thought, to be fair to him, and we'll come on to Dan Bigger next. Uh, Dan Bigger tried something a little bit different. It was like a sliced up, uh, sliced up and under to himself, um, because obviously the, the everyone had gone deep expecting the the big kick back, and he thought actually I can just jink dink this over and catch it. And that was one of the areas where I thought, oh, we're in trouble here because they're now on the front foot. Um, then they put in a crap box kick and we got back uh, back territory. But, um, right, moving on to Dan Bigger. Uh, a bit like Owen Farrell, has that sort of... No one outside of Wales likes him? Well, no, true. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest, uh, Dan Bigger, his tackling technique is Farrell-esque and it has been for a while. And I noticed those... If I, I did, I, just because I'm sad and it, I find it entertaining... I went on the Northampton fans forums just to get a feel for um, uh, what they were thinking about that that particular moment, whether there was anybody defending him. And it was interesting, pretty much across the board, they were all saying he's had that coming for a while. He's been lucky a few times. And actually, um, it might actually help because it might improve the fact he might actually tackle properly. Um, Apparently, there's a Saints fan in the crowd that wound him up after he sat down. He was apparently it was a Saints fan in the crowd. We who gave him a bit of a, a bit of abuse, and Dan Bigger reacted. Um, I mean, let's let's, let's just draw a line. To be it, fair, on, on on the pitch, he went and apologised straight away. Did yeah. he held his hands up and went off? Yeah, I, I think you, you, you you have to question what he was trying to achieve with the tackle. Yeah, it was a really weird tackle, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he there, there was never ever going to be any mitigation. He kind of jumped shoulder first into the blow. Yeah, he jumped up and then hit. Uh, yeah, even if, there, even if you jump. 
and jump into a judo type throw that's you know below the shoulders. I mean, that ain't that just ain't right. Yeah, he was always it was there was never going to be any mitigation. I don't know what he was trying to achieve. And you have to question the intelligence of the player, who is a very, very, very good player, regardless of what you think about it. He is a very good rugby player. And mm. what, what was he thinking? Because at, for the last two years, there has been no way you can do a tackle like that without getting a red card. So yeah. why do it? I yeah. don't understand this from professional rugby players. Players who are 24-7 rugby, they've got all the time in the world to train and get that out and be coached in a way to make sure you don't do stupid things like that. And then a player that sort of quality goes and does it. It's just bizarre. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I think it, what was surprising was that it was how, how ridiculously daft it was. I mean, there's been a lot of red cards over the last couple of weeks in the European rugby. And we'll come on that maybe in the second part of the pod. But the, 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 that one was such an awful tackle. Um, and, you yeah, know, I mean, look, it, it, was, it was never going to be like an Owen Far- what Owen Farrell tries to do pretty much all the time is put in a monster hit, yeah. kind of how you, what you referred to earlier, Ed. you know, not so much a tackle, a hit, um, to be a really, really, you know, offensive tackle. Um, and, win the collision stuff, isn't it? That's and win the collision, about. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, tackling, isn't it? You know, he, if he got that on the shoulder rather than in the chops, he would. He was still... Not gonna get a yellow card. You're yeah. <laughs> still gonna get a yellow card. There's no wrap of the arms, is there? It's a no. sho- it's a, it's, a, it's a shoulder barge, basically. Sort of shoulder, yeah, missile's shoulder into the yeah. player. I mean, he it looks like he's gonna get a ban, probably um a three week, four week ban, maybe, uh, judging I, on where you know, really the severity of it. Yeah, which is a really significant thing for them because obviously they're chasing top top six, uh top four, possibly. I think that might, that in addition to Courtney Laws's injury. That's probably going to be out for the season. Um, they're too significant. Oh, What's Courtney Laws done? Uh, uh, there's something to do with hand, broken hand, possibly. I think it was. What, I mean, you heard. Yeah, you heard the slap when he and he did yeah, it. Yeah, so. I mean, yeah, you, you you said earlier. I mean, it was a massive loss. I was yeah. I was relieved when he left the field because he was one of the few players that Northampton had that I thought would potentially give them that kind of forward dominance that they didn't have in that certainly in that opening half yeah um one one just interesting thing i thought was i've never not really seen it i'll come to snowy and then actually i'll come to lost first then snowy um on this and it's just um uh relating to the line outs now one of the things i'm not going to even try and pronounce his name because it would be offensive on so many levels but the, the fijian number four um for northampton on a regular basis was disrupting our line out basically waiting for us to drop the uh, to drop and then sort of kind of reaching his hand almost over the top and round because he's just a huge unit and i'd never see i've not really seen any team do that but it was definitely working in terms of disrupting um oh, our we, rolling we had, one, we had one more going and our guys it lit, the ball was held in the air and he just yeah. went well thanks and had it <laughs> yeah. you know i mean that that was not clever mauling from gloucester no um you know i think i would have probably had a go at pinching that if I could have reached but it's you've got to be a menace haven't you you know the best the best open sides are right on the edge of legality and being an absolute arse the same with scrum halves Mm. and I think if you're that kind of boss of the line out 
you've got to make it as awkward as possible for the opposition to win clean ball, especially if clean ball for the opposition, i.e. us, <laughs> is so destructive with our mall. Yeah, uh, Loz, on that sort of point about the, the, the mall and the line-out, last couple of weeks we've noticed that teams have started to keep, compete more at the line-out. Now, you played, you played second row. Uh, I'm, you are basically now, you're going to tell us the, 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 the importance of competing versus not competing and how a mall is set up. Uh, yeah, so using all your expertise and knowledge here, Loz. Uh, oh, cheers, what, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? I mean, just I'm just interested because obviously I'm, I didn't play there, so you know, and you did, and you know, whatever level we play at, you've got more of a knowledge than I have. So your view on why it's why that competing seems to be affecting our role are more than not competing and trying to stop it at source. When you're trying to when you set up a mall, if you're defending against the team that's setting up, you either need to try and get your hands on the ball whilst the ball's in the air at the line out to stop them from setting it, or you need to be not compete at all and then pull it down literally the moment the second row hits the ground and you mm. need to scrag it. Um, they were that I hadn't see it's a risk. What their um, second row was doing was quite a risky way about going about things. It, it's clever as in he got a bind in the middle of our mall, which meant that he could then stay there. But it's yeah. risky because he's got no power in the push, counter push against what, what we got going. If we could peel round like we did a couple of times, it just took him out the game and then re- and keep it going so he didn't have a truck and trailer. That's that's when our rolling mall went, those, you know, trundled quite quickly through because he was going for that. Um, it's almost when, impossible in that situation, Lawrence, isn't it? When when the, the mall's got a bit of momentum, the players that have been rolled out the way them to enter from the back foot. Yeah, they then got to come all the way back round and get back in but again to try to and do stop that. It. To do that with momentum and power, they've almost got to have a runner to concede another meter or two, and it's yeah. just an ongoing issue because another exactly. player has been thrown out. Is, yeah, it's our mall is very hard to stop because our body. You look at how we set it. When it's set right, our body positions are spot on. It's Right, loss. You can't reload quickly, you know. Again, having played in the forwards, and you realise shit, I'm out of position. You've got to run around and rejoin from the back. You can't get any pace to hit it to stop it. So I think teams are realising their best chance is to disrupt at source. And like, yeah. So one thing is, is you go up in the air. Yes, if you miss it, quite often, like Loz said, you'll land on their side. You're like, oh, I'm in the middle and just quickly bind on. And yes, you can't do anything to affect stopping the shove, but you can just be a pain in the ass. And as we all know, if that mall collapses, your best bet at defending our mall at the moment, I think, is either hold it up over the line and then we, they, have, they get to hoof it away because of the law change or just disrupt it and get the scrum back. So I think some teams are working out their best chance of stopping the mall is just to make nuisances of themselves. Don't try and stop the shove. Mm-hmm. It, it does seem I, to I think it is. I think it is that. It's like, it's an odds game, right? So you've got to work out what is the best way of stopping Gloucester's mall. Generally, if we get set, it's not that easy to defend. No. But the other thing is, I don't. there aren't many line-out specialists anymore in the game. Um, and I think a lot of that is because the line-out is now so like, black and white in terms of keeping the space and making sure that you don't touch the opposition player at all yeah. um, when you're up in the air, that it's actually quite hard to steal opposition ball. So I think that's why the amount of competing has gone down even more. But because Saints have got a specialist um, in the air at the line out, and that's quite a rare 
um, their position. I think I think that gave them a bit more impetus to compete as well, and it was quite effective. But just touching on that, uh, the new rule about um, once it's over the line, if it's held up, that it's, mm. it's now a turnover. Is there a legal reason why you can't set a player behind where the ball's going and just get him to lie on the ground over the try line? Because as I understand it, you can do what you want in the dead ball area, right? So I, I've kind of wondered why teams haven't done that. When a ball's getting to the line, just get like, guys lying on the ground so it can't be Self-preservation, personally. You've got to find... the best part of 150 stone all landing on top of your deal. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm stupid enough, and I guess the other one is... You could probably argue it's a deliberate collapse of a mall. I was going to say that's probably what I was thinking of. Yeah, it might you're allowed, be. You're allowed, you're allowed to collapse it once it's over the ball area. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, it's. It, I think. I think probably risk reward on that now. It, it, you'd have to get it absolutely right. Yeah. That was one of those yeah. things that you'd speak to the referee about before the game. We have. We've had this idea of doing this. Yeah. How would you interpret yeah. that? Yeah. And then the referee goes, "Oh, hang on. Give me a minute." Goes to his law book, has a look through, and goes. Oh, do you know what? Yeah, all right, you can do that. Much like the whole not oh, the Italians not you not would, the You run. would yeah, build you the know. bench for seven second rows, though, wouldn't you? Uh, no, I know. Think Loz, yeah, I think Lodz is right. You'll get one player do it once, and then the next lads, it's not my turn. I am no. not oh, no, doing no, no. that again. It <laughs> yeah. happens anyway, doesn't all, all it? Broken people bow on do the again. wall. Still get, yeah. you know, there's exactly. always like someone underneath it. Right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the future of this season. What we our 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 goals should be. Um, and uh, some of the other European action. Right, uh, we're going to talk about the, um, I suppose, the goals and what we should be looking for, looking for uh, from Gloucester for the rest of the season. Uh, now, just briefly, um, first of all. Uh, we're, we've got a Premiership Cup semi-final in um, a, just over a, a week and a bit. Um, we've got a quarter-final of the Challenge Cup against Saracens at the beginning of May, I think it's 7th of May, that weekend anyway. And then we've got four league games left. Uh, we're currently in seventh, although that isn't a true reflection of where we are because tomorrow, as, as we record, we call it on Monday, Bank Holiday Monday, Tuesday, we're apparently beginning a hearing to understand whether we've got five points, four points, uh, any sort of compensation financially from the fact that Worcester cried off um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so realistically, let's, let's assume, I think the assumption is we've got five points there. That puts us in fifth with a game and hand over Exeter with two points behind them. Uh, with all that in mind, game against Bristol on Friday, that would put us into fourth place if we win. Um what are our what should we really be going for? Should we look to you know get fourth or third because we're not going to finish in the top two? Let's you know get get into the top top four. That's the aim for the season and sod everything else. Or do we need to kind of be a bit more pragmatic? Well, I think we got a big enough squad to go for. I'm not saying we can win everything, but I think our squad is big enough that we can target every single game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. Trying to target individual games and certain competitions, I don't think will help us. I think it will kind of confuse us. I think we haven't got players that are looking exhausted. We haven't got a lot of players that have played huge amounts of games. You know, um, I thought um, Ackerman has played a lot, looked tired 
earlier in the season. He's had a bit of time off. I think he's good for the run-in. I don't see any reason why we can't win the next 11 games and win the treble. <laughs> I think in, in terms of the cup, I uh, the National Cup, I think yeah. we've, we've played a consistent-looking side throughout that tournament. And I think yeah. it's right you just keep going with that side and we don't suddenly pull those guys out and put the A team in. Yeah. But I think I think we have we've clearly got a best fifteen. I think that I'd say mo- most fans would have a pretty consistent view on what our sort of best fifteen is, and we should be mm-hmm. putting out that side whenever available, unless there's niggles and stuff in in the European fixtures and the league, yeah. um, without a doubt. Really? I I think the thing you've got to remember is. <laughs> I don't think you can target either competition because there's not one that's easier. I completely agree with Snowy on the Worcester game and that cup. I, I'd stick to how we approach that. Europe, we've got to beat Saris at home, which is not an easy fixture. They played very well against Cardiff. And then to even get to the final, we're probably going to have to go and win away at Toulon, which is not easy either. So it's not like going over that competition is easier. I think we need to be in the Champions Cup next year. We've got a real good chance of getting back in that competition. Having looked at how Bristol played against Sale, I don't see why we can't go there and win. They couldn't defend them all to save their lives in that game. And their scrum, <laughs> their scrum was abysmal. Two areas that we're strong at. I think you target that and you, like Snow said, I, I think you have to go for that game and then, then you can sort of see whether what we're targeting from there. I think the key is get into Europe, hopefully push for a top four after. You can go a bit shit or bust there. And the cup competition in Europe is an added bonus because it will not be easy. If we get to the final, we deserve to be there, basically. Yeah. And all your eggs in one basket doesn't sit comfortable with me. Exactly. You got yes. I know it's easy for me to say being a Liverpool supporter and we're going for four trophies there, but I, I, I just think that Gloucester have got an opportunity to do well. And I think if we, you know, on all three fronts, as I said, our squad is strong enough. I agree 100% with what Snow is saying about the Premiership Cup. There is, a, we, so that is a, di- a different, not a different team entirely, but that is, you know, we're not, sucking any of, any of our strength out of going for Europe and the top four by, by being involved in that competition. That is almost as an aside. And that, that, that's what that, trophy, that, that tournament is designed, uh, designed for as well. So I really think that that's not... We shouldn't be targeting a game like that. We should be playing it as we play it so well, so far. That team has gone so, so well this season in that competition as well. And I think they've got those that have played today have got enough in it to get that trophy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Europe is, as you said, Europe is difficult. And we're in such a strong position in the league. How can we not go for the top four when we're in the position we're in at the moment? We've got to go for it. And so I think I I agree with that. Sorry. The difference between Gloucester and Liverpool is that I think if Gloucester were to try in every game and select the best available squad, uh, maybe maybe that Worcester game um, go for the academy type squad and stick to the, the ethos of the uh, of the competition. But if we were to do that and not win any silverware, Gloucester supporters, you know, assuming that we actually do half decent in these competitions, will go. Do you know what we've had a good season? Whereas Liverpool, if they go all out in all four and come away with nothing. I think there'll be quite a different kind of 
attitude towards that. It's completely different game. I also think it's really sweet, Jim, that you think there's only one difference between Gloucester and Liverpool. I think, yeah. I, and also, actually, but to carry the Liverpool analogy on, Klopp stuck with the players in the League Cup, which is probably the closest competition, that yeah. got him there. He played the same goalie. And I think it's a real slap face to the young lads to go, you've done brilliantly, boys, but don't worry, these guys have got... If I'm the nine who's been playing week in, week out, and you bring in me, and I'd be like, fuck right off, you know, based on the game there. <laughs> I think playing. if they brought me in for that game, we'd all say fuck right off. Yeah, I, I, I decided to like the anti-Ben Meehan podcast, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm all for that name change at the moment. Um, yeah. I've... I think you've got to trust those lads because it yeah. it has a lot of knock-on in the long run. If they lose, they learn a lot from it as well. And as I said before, if we beat Worcester with a weak inside, it's really fucking funny as well. Yeah, I mean, um, we're in the position where we are in the league at the moment because of all that effort that those young lads have put in yeah. in training against our top team. What we call our, yeah. you know, against yeah. the first, if you like. So give them the, give them their reward that they have exactly bloody well earned. Exactly. And also, and also sorry, Ed, I was just going to say the other thing to remember with Europe is we are going to be under the radar. No one's going to expect us to get past Saris and Toulon. You know, put that in the boys' heads and just. It's a shot at nothing almost. If you beat those two teams, as I said, you fucking deserve to be in the final, and. The league is in our hands still, really, isn't it? It's not yeah. we are not reliant on other results. So you've Take got to go out. It it. Yeah, exactly. And just... that's how Liverpool look at why how Liverpool have got themselves back into it in the premiership because they just go after every game like, well, we've got to win this one and see what happens. I think that's how yeah. we have to approach it. So the couple of things, first of all, on the on the the challenge uh, the Premier Cup game, I agree entirely with Snowy. We play the we play the team that's got us to this point. I think now. You can take Steve Diamond's words and do what you want with them. Um, he's apparently suggested that he would be looking to echo the ethos, as we call it, of the tournament uh, and play a similar side. Now, I will Bollard. believe that when I see it. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, so he, he hasn't we'll... got a squad big enough for that, has he? Well, well, quite. I mean, we'll see. I, 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 I'd like to think that the Worcester will bring a side equivalent to Gloucester's and it's not basically ruined our Van der Merver and all the rest of them um, playing. But we'll see. We'll, I we'll mean, we lost, we lost to Worcester with that team from both sides. Yeah, well, they, they, they played, they played yes. a lot of their, they yeah, played a lot of their first, their first team pack is what happened in that game. Uh, that was the difference when we played them up at six ways in this competition. They played their first team pack and Gloucester got bullied. Um Basically, that, that's what that's happened. That's a big difference, isn't it? When when it comes to the youngsters, the, the back line, you can have all the confidence, all the speed, all the skills. But when it comes to the forwards, you sometimes just need to be a bit older, wiser and stronger. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. You, you, you might chuck a couple in there just to balance it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, yeah. and, and bench, got to, bench players. We've got to also be give give the lads who've got here credit. I mean, some some of these lads have already come into the first team and have stepped up every single time. I don't think I, I wouldn't have concerns with certainly the back row. I think you know gradually as these guys have got more experience, I wouldn't be concerned if they had to fill in the back row. I know we've got a first fifteen as we call it, but you know there's players who can come in and step in and wouldn't have a problem with. I think it's it'll be interesting to see what the T teams go for. I think Gloucester have got if if it is 
Um, you know, Gloucester play the, the, the side that they beat, that beat Bristol. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we ran the first team of Worcester's close. I wouldn't be surprised if we beat them, to be honest. Um, uh, with a, with a, That's with my a, thoughts, exactly. A, a, and I think also when you consider that, and we'll come on to ticket pricing in a second, but um, again, but I think the way that they've done the ticket pricing for this game, for that game, the chances of a big crowd are a lot higher. 20, 20 pounds to, to sit in the grandstand. I think it's a tenner in the shed. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of casual supporters coming in to watch a semi-final at King's Home. That might have an effect. It's Wednesday night. All right, it's not the greatest, but it's still better than, you know, when you're paying tenner to get to go and watch a game of rugby, you're more I'll likely be, to get I'll people be, um, coming along. I'll be buying Max a ticket. Yeah, um, exactly. I asked, I asked him earlier uh, when I bought mine and he didn't want it. And after the weekend, he, he's he, he fancied it. Yeah, exactly. And I, think, I think he's probably going to bully me into getting him a season ticket for next year, which would be, <laughs> be great for the club. It'll be great for him, and it'll probably be good for my liver as well. Because yeah, true. Yeah, you, you can't you good. can't drink as much. <laughs> yeah, he tells um, me off a lot. Yeah. Um, now the one thing going on to the Saracen side of things and the, and the European Cup, I think that probably the, the difference there was we will know by then where we are in the league. Because we've got Bristol away, Bath at home. We then will play Saracens. Mm. We will know if we win those two games, realistically, we were going to be, we're going to be top four at that point. We'll have to be top four realistically. So that means that we, we know that we've got Saracens in the, in the quarterfinal of the, the cup. Saracens probably would have already, I think if they haven't already booked top two spot, they're going to be starting to target and rest players and target games. We've then got Quinns away. Uh, in the end of May, uh, which I think is the week after, is the week before the European the, the finals, European finals, and then we've got Saracens the week after a potential European final. So, it, you know, it's that I think is going to very much depend on our next two games, and that could obviously colour how we target that Saracens game. If we have an absolute shocker against Bristol and Bath, I really hope we don't for obvious reasons. Um, but that would that's going to colour the rest of the season my personal uh, view is we'll probably I think beat Bristol on Friday wouldn't be surprised with a bonus point I hope to God we beat Bath with a bonus point because they are still bloody awful um, oh, we will be we will be. yeah so that's 15 points because we'll get the Worcester points as well um, and then you'll you know you don't know what the other get if other games go our way we could be almost there needing only maybe a couple of points the other, against the other thing or is the other thing with Saris, they've got a track record of qualifying for the top two and then resting players on that last league fixture, and that they've had some right tunings over the years, and then gone yeah. and beaten the same. Almost, it always seems to be they end up playing the same side the week after, and then they, then, and then go and do it when it matters in the playoffs. But yeah, I, I can think, remember they, yeah. they, they got walloped by Wasp one year, and then went and absolutely annihilated them the following week in the in the. The playoffs. Yeah. It's I almost you... like they're doing something with their salary cap and the bookies. <laughs> well, no, well, I'm just thinking what... that we could be playing up against a, 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 that. If Ed said about getting that 15 points, I can see it being 20 because I think if we're going to beat Saracens or Harlequins, it, you're going to need to score the four tries. So winning the game means you've got five points anyway because I can't yeah. see how you beat those teams without score at this time of year without scoring four tries in each game personally. Russ? I'm listening to everything you boys say and it's really nice and really positive <laughs> and really optimistic and it's brilliant, but you're all forgetting one thing. We're talking about Gloucester. This is not going to run smoothly. It's going to be fucking hot. There's going to be some point in the next few weeks 
match where there's 10 minutes of utter misery where we're like the, the season is on the line. So I really want to believe you're right, Ed, but I think we've got to remember the, who we're talking about here. <laughs> so also, um, we're I, not know, in like good just, form. Yeah, yeah, true. This is this is the thing. It's like if you are like I, I kind of like I want your team talk, and then in like I, I it's gonna cut like if this was a movie, you two would be talking to that, and then it will cut to a halftime team talk of Mike Bassett, where we're like forty <laughs> points down at Bristol. We're better than the Mexicans. Or it, we're better yeah, than the Mexicans. Or it'll be that yeah. Or the next podcast will be like that bit in The Simpsons where everyone goes. Dad, Dad was right. Will Ed was right, and we'll all be fucking terrified that it's gone as to plan. We're going to be that gif where yeah, from the Simpsons gif where he just backs into the hedge. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're all like so. we. It was never in doubt. The treble was on, and then this podcast just disappears. It never <laughs> happened. So, to be honest, there's there's there are many reasons why I really want us to get to the to the Challenge Cup final. Mainly because I'm going to look a bloody You've already genius. Got uh, no, I've already booked the room. Uh, to be fair, I, I should be clear. I haven't paid any money yet for this room, but I've reserved a room uh, and look, will look bloody genius like if I've uh, if I'm able to uh, to use it. Um, but also, the opportunity to watch any sport in the Stad Velodrome is not to be missed, um, and to watch rugby in the Stad Velodrome, you know, in May. I mean, let's be honest. There's, Worst places to be than Marseille in May, south of France. Anyway, we'll we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it doesn't happen. Um, Marseille's but anyway, Marseille is a shithole. True, but um, <laughs> Stade Velodrome, one of the greatest four stadiums. Anyway, uh, right. Um, we mentioned Quinns, and uh, let's talk about some of the other European rugby. And uh, Russ, I think, was fair. I, I agree with entirely where Russ was going with this, and I know exactly what he's going to say now. But I need to do a bit of devil's advocate. But Marcus Smith, shite. Um, <laughs> okay, Eddie Jones, yeah. but yeah, oh dear, Marcus Smith, um, helped score one of the great, one of the great tries of this round and probably of European rugby in the last few years. And then, yeah, missed an absolute sitter, the need to win to put them in the, in the lead. Um, but Quinns, you know, there was a few of those Quinns lost by a point, Ulster lost by a point, um, over two legs. Uh, Bristol looked like they got back into it against Sale and then butchered it again, which was hysterical for many reasons. Um, you know, the, the, it was, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of the two-legged affair, but it, 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 it did lend itself to a bit more drama than maybe we were expecting. I, I don't like it either, personally. I like, yeah, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> it was, I, so it was for a few games, but there are a few games that were just utterly dead in the water before they even start. Yeah, Leicester Claremont was one, wasn't it? Leicester Claremont. Yeah, but then but then it's it's weird, isn't it? Because it's because it's, you know, a 160 plus potentially mm. kind of thing. It's that first game and Exeter had it in there, didn't they? They yeah. they could have gone for the points. They could have given themselves a bigger buffer against Munster mm. in the in that first leg. But they went for the corner. They went for the jugular. They went all out to get a bigger buffer to go to Toman Park. And I think brilliant. That is, you know, a massive call. It's 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 even bigger a call potentially than at the end of a game when you're four points down with three minutes to go and you don't take the points because it, it, that that's a kind of a, that's a, a, quite an easy calculation. 
but I hear all that, Jim. And the thing is, is if they blew up after the first game and only the first game counted, Munster are out. That's that's the big appeal. But then, but then I would argue, would Munster? Munster didn't. I don't think Munster. It was interesting to watch Munster seemed to get the concept well, did, of a two-legged yeah, game. They did. Uh, I mean, that tackle by more than Exeter. Munster went into the game being right. All we're going to do is stop Exeter winning by a by a lot. I mean, to be yeah, and 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 it, that can that can create a really negative game. But I don't think we saw a huge amount. No, of it didn't. Game. And Earl's probably. And the second rounds are brilliant. Earl's I probably mean, won them the game ball. in that first match, didn't he? With his tackle right at the end. Yeah, so yeah. you know, it's. I think the problem with it is, is it's it's an, if if you wanted to take this fit format forward, it's it's another fixture when you're talking. Yeah. Well, that's about why I pull it. I was about to say. Yeah. I just. I think it's shit. To be honest. Yeah, I don't. I don't <laughs> like it. I don't know why. I I I agree with Snowy. I just. I, I don't um, like it, it. It takes it. It basically takes away the opportunity for a big underdog upset. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But um, I tell that, you what, that Ulster you, result in Toulouse is meaningless now, and that was an amazing game to watch as well. Yeah. yeah. So that 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 middle weekend of of Heineken Cup rugby, as it used to be, was always the home and away, wasn't it? Yeah. So you have the, the back to back, and that was as close as you're going to get to a two-legged affair because you get the opportunities to right the wrongs the following week. But of course, the, the points were already scored. Um, and we've kind of, we've kind of missed a bit of that with the whole structure. So could we not have just triple back to back? So we go back to the original kind of concept of three pool games, but rather than have it, you know, you play A, then you play B, then you play C, C, and then you play B, A. It's kind of, you you play back-to-back games, then you play back-to-back games, then you play back-to-back games. Would that not... You could, not just have a, yeah, you could just have a pool, couldn't you, of four teams, and you play the teams in your pool, and you go through to a knockout. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it did that's actually what, work quite well. Yeah, but that, that is what Jim's saying. I think, I think know so it is. That's what playing. I mean. I just think, yeah. I agree. I completely agree with Jim. I think you keep it like that. It works really well. Um, because And actually, because Loz made the point first before I did in our discussion, Um I, and I saw it. There were people going, oh, Owen Farrell and George Ford wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have missed those kicks. No, they wouldn't have, but they also wouldn't have fucking set up the two tries he did to put them in the position to win anyway. So, yes, he bottled the kick, but it's such an English thing to then go, I oh, bottled the kick, let's let's drop him. He's yeah, not. He's 23 years old. And he did all this amazing on. stuff that yeah. got them in the game. He started yeah, a touchdown conversion earlier. Yeah. Was the, 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 Twitter, the Twitter rage that was developed from this was, and it was pathetic and it was obvious and he yeah. knew it was coming that, you know, he missed the kick and that means he's crap and should be dropped from England. Bloody nonsense. He was superb on Saturday. Unfortunately, at that key moment, he missed the kick. Now, it's important to note that that moment and that situation, we don't know how that could be a really useful learning point oh, for him going forward. Massive, yeah, yeah you know, absolutely. You in that pressure situation going forward, you've got that experience and know what to do, or maybe more importantly, know what not what to do. know what not to do is really important. 
You know, you see it with prem, you see it with football players and penalties and stuff, and they do something totally different where they've never done before on a, on a penalty and miss. Well, don't do that again. You know, you you. So it will be interesting to see how he goes from that. I think the other, just a, a kind of more wider point about the European uh, weekend, a lot of red cards again. And we kind of went back to the fact that Dan Bigger's red card. It, it It is kind of surprising that I know that it's relatively recent, maybe only three, four years where we've had the the lower tackle height rules and the, the really stringent... Um, uh, well, not, uh, not, not seriously hurting people. Well, the red cards, you know, to be fair, like some some of the big hits that maybe previous uh, years where some of the Fijian, Samoan, Sassianas, Kiwis, whatever, were come putting in, South Africans were putting in on people and like breaking jaws and stuff. But it is surprising how many players are still doing this stuff. I mean, the one, again, I mean, the one on um, the Bordeaux player on La Roche, on the La Rochelle one, the shoulder charge, I mean, that's, the man who wasn't even a ball carrier. He didn't have the ball, for Christ's sake. I mean, it was utterly ridiculous. There's the one well, that on the... That was last week, wasn't it? No, this, no, that was this it, weekend. It's another one it's Another one. Another it's one. They all, merge, they all merge into and, one. That's the problem. Right? And there's, there's the one in the corner where there's all shoulder, isn't it? Was uh, it it's the like, Rassing, uh, yeah, Rassing as a winger or fullbacks going into Col- the corner. Colophemia, though, isn't there? Yeah, and, well, <laughs> this is the other thing, I have to be honest. That, and then the Physicality is so important, isn't it? Yeah, that, you know, we've talked we talked about it earlier. The dominant tackle is so important, but it cannot be more important than keeping your players on the but, pitch. And, but it's and, not even dominant tackle, point. though, Jim. This is just no, this not. is just thuggery. Yeah, thuggery. Yeah, I mean, we, we I, so, and we mentioned this last week, didn't we? Ed? Again, yeah. the dominant tackle is they need is it's a game changer. And actually, like like the point last week was, you watch Exeter Munster where the dominant tackle wasn't a thing. It was like the first man tackles in such a way that he's out of the he rolls he's not in and they're competing over the breakdown Sam Walburton made it again a point this week that English teams don't have sevens anymore it's the big no. physical players and the other teams are actually doing well at competing at the breakdown so the dominant tackle doesn't matter what you want is your tackler out the way so you can jackal and get over the ball I mean Omani Omani was was it, was it in double digit oh, turnovers I mean I don't like ridiculous. him like, you know he annoys the hell out of me but he was ridiculous in that game just an absolute nuisance and that's yeah. the way the game and Borthwick there's an article in the Telegraph by Borthwick and he makes his point if you look and it hasn't been discussed I can't remember the last time there was a spear tackle because what you what you see is when it's happening the next man comes in and stops it happening so yeah. players are learning and it doesn't help that you have these pundits who go oh you've got to have empathy so the players are getting it you've got to adapt and involve but it's going to take time and it's yeah. Enter- like you said, Jim, entertainment cannot be at the expense of player safety. It's that no. simple for me. Snowy, and ultimately, on, yeah, Snowy, yeah, it's, it's about consistency, isn't it, from the referees? Like, as even if the rule is based on this is what we've sort of talked about before, a year ago, maybe our minds have changed a bit around whether it's the outcome that's judged or the or the intent and the action in the first place. Actually, that doesn't really matter. All you want is consistency, and then you adapt to make sure you're not giving away penalties and ruining the opportunities for your team. And I think in the UK, at least, or in English, English rugby, at mm. least, I do think the referees are doing a very good, consistent job. And for the most part, players are adapting if they're bright enough to realise that that's actually going to benefit them. And yeah. the ones that aren't bright enough are the ones 
you're seeing the same guys getting penalised, aren't you? Because they haven't adapted. Well, um, that, that, exactly that, and I, I, I do, I and mean, that's the point. I think. Yeah, you know, I was going to come into this exact point about how it does seem that the English teams, I'd even say the Irish teams as well. You, don't, you very rarely see Irish players getting sent off for these hits. I mean, there you've got the odd one or two, but generally they don't. You don't see the number of cards. Um, it tends to be, let's be honest, it tends to be the French teams where they just have they just haven't caught up. They seem to be persisting with this idea where we've got to absolutely smash the living shit out of somebody. Oh, you um, see that that French shirt and stuff front say hooker, he's been sent off twice and had six yellow cards in one it, season. I thought it was three, I thought it was three red cards and five. Was that, was it six. Third, no, he said definitely had six yellows. So I think that might be. I think that was his third red. Third red, yeah. Yeah. And did you see the reaction of his teammates? They're all like, "Oh, not again!" (laughs) You did. It was like Jesus Christ. You can stop rugby players tackling high, but you can't stop the French being French, can you? (laughs) (laughs) True. Um, I I mean, uh, yeah, I think that's a very good point. It was. It was interesting though. The number. The the. um, I think the Bristol Sale game. I think particularly there was one. There was one moment, and I, I was um, watching it on telly, um, fun enough, down in, in, in that part of the world. Um, and it was interesting to sort of see people who aren't rugby followers, aren't big rugby fans, watching it alongside. I was watching alongside, and they're going, well, what, you know, that, that's, that, should be a, that should be a red card. They were saying to me, that should be a red card. And I'm kind of looking at it and going, yeah, probably. <laughs> Not, and this, is, this was the yellow card for Bristol, the Bristol player. Um, and I was thinking, well, I can't quite understand where where he's going to get off here because he was tackling far too upright. There was no bend in the knee. I think the mitigation was in the end that the cell player was slipping. That's what he got. He kind of got off on. But um, it is interesting. You, you see these players now. The ones that were consistently hitting upright are going to get more yellows. They are going to get more reds. And if you're a coaching team and you're looking at contracts and you're looking at who do you keep, particularly with his reduced salary caps, discipline is always going to be a key part of it. But if you're looking at like number of minutes on the pitch, you've got, it doesn't matter how good the player is. If he's out for eight weeks a season with bloody suspensions. He ain't worth his money. It's not worth his money. And I mean, you know, it's going to be interesting next season. We've got, we're bringing in a guy from London Irish uh, who has had. Uh, that was my know, concern when we signed him. Yeah. He's had some issues in the past in terms of his uh, physicality. I do think some of the Sassian do get kind of tarred with the same brush, unfortunately. But there has been a, a, an issue previously. So it'll be interesting to see how he's adapting. He hasn't played a huge amount for Irish from what I can see um, since we announced we were signing him. I think he might be injured, which would be about right. Um, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting how he develops. Uh, right, I think that's pretty much it for the, this weekend, guys. We've got Bristol coming up on Friday. I'm going to be going down uh, with my dad and my godson, so that'll be fun. Um, I've already done a little podcast, 10-minute interview with the, uh, the Bristol podcast, um, and um, it was quite an interesting point that they made was when I first did that for them, when we kind of started as a pod back in, um, well, nearly two years ago, uh, they were talking about welfare checks for me because it was so de- we were so depressed about how Gloucester were and it was really <laughs> dreadful and awful. Um, and now you get to repay. Oh, my word. They are really, really, really sad and depressed. Um, they are fed up to Don't the back worry. teeth. Fed up quite. Fed up to the back teeth of, Lam- uh, of uh, Pat Lamb's um, selections. Um, they don't understand the sort of structure that they're trying to do in terms of the way they're playing and where the money's going. Um, so, yeah, you know, more for that, really. Let's continue that uh, going on. And hopefully we, we put another 
nail in their coffin of the season uh, on Friday night and then move on to Worcester and then Bath the following week. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for all your time again and we'll speak again next week. Cheers, boys. Cheers, guys.